Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Well, today on Carolina Newsmakers, we add a new voice to our list of folks who participate in this program, and that's Josh Dobson, who is now serving as the 18th Labor Commissioner of the state of North Carolina, being sworn in on January 2nd, 2021. And uh, Josh, of course, uh, as we were kidding him, the pride and joy of Avery and McDowell counties, way up in the mountains here, where he at one time served as a county commissioner for two years before going to the House, and then he was in the House representing that district, the 85th district, for uh, another eight years. So, Josh, welcome to the program, and thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, Don. Good to be with you. Well, we want to talk a little bit, and uh, yeah, I suspect a lot of our listeners don't really know an awful lot about what the North Carolina Department of Labor is charged to do by both statute and by uh, prior action. So how about giving us a little bit of a background on exactly what the role of the North Carolina Department of Labor is and what you're charged with and what you're responsible for? Sure. Be glad to. So I'm going to tell you up front, it, it's not real sexy stuff. It's not the high profile stuff that you see on TV uh, or, or in Congress, but it's critical to the 4.5 million workers in North Carolina. It's really the Labor Department is divided into two parts, our occupational safety and health and our standards and inspections. The occupational safety and health uh, deals with just that. And just as a side note, North Carolina is a state plan state which basically means when you hear OSH or OSHA or OSHA in North Carolina, it's the North Carolina Department of Labor, not the federal government. And the Occupational Safety and Health really has five components and five responsibilities, uh, starting with our ASH, or our Agricultural Safety and Health. Uh, we have to work closely with our Agricultural Department and Commissioner Troxler. We have H-2A workers who come down to our state who work the sweet potato farms and the watermelon farms in the east and our Christmas tree and apple growers in the west. Well, those H-2A workers have to have a place to live. They're called migrant housing. It's the Labor Department's responsibility to inspect that housing, inspect those houses and certify them before those migrant workers can come here to work for the, for the seasonal operations of North Carolina's farms. So that's a real critical thing that we do. Uh, the compliance is the most traditional part of occupational safety and health. That's the typical investigations when, God forbid, there's a fatality or an injury and illness. Our OSH or compliance officers go in and do the investigation. That's the, that's the regulation arm of, uh, of what the Department of Labor does. We also have planning and statistics. We're able to keep up with the workplace accidents over the years. Uh, we have an education, training, and technical assistance bureau. Commissioner Barry did a great job with that. So we have training from everything from construction to logging to manufacturing and everything in between. And finally, the thing that I'm really wanting to push on our occupational safety and health side is our compliant, I'm sorry, our consultative. By law, our consultative bureau cannot cite or penalize businesses. So they are encouraged to reach out to the Department of Labor if you're a logger or if you're a manufacturing facility or a construction company to say, we don't know if we're doing this safely or not. Uh, we want you guys to come in on a consultative basis without fear of being fined. And that's what our consultative bureau does. So all of that is dedicated to workplace safety in North Carolina. 
So those are the five big components and the five different bureaus to our occupational safety and health. The side that gets more um, attention, I guess, is our standards and inspections, starting with our elevators, right? We have 25,000 approximately elevators in North Carolina that have to be inspected every year. But what I always want to point out is those inspectors not only have to inspect elevators, every ride at every fair and carnival in North Carolina has to be inspected every time they're set up. So for instance, if a, a company is setting up rides in Craven County, those rides have to be inspected by the Labor Department. If we unbolt the equipment and move that, that those rides to McDowell County, they have to be inspected once again. That's not true in other states. Once you do it one time, they're good. In North Carolina, we take it serious and they have to be inspected every time. Uh, in addition to that, boilers have to be inspected by the Labor Department, 90,000 boilers across the state. Wage and hour, meaning if someone doesn't get a paycheck or their last paycheck or they're not getting paid what they're supposed to get paid, they file a claim with the Labor Department in our Wage and Hour Bureau. We also have retaliatory employment discrimination. A uh, real quick example, if someone files a workers' comp claim, and then they feel like they're being retaliated against because they filed that workers' comp claim, they then file a separate case or a separate claim with the Labor Department. So retaliatory employment discrimination. And then we have a small bureau that is a consultative bureau with mines and quarries. Most of that is federal, but we do have some consultative with the surface mines in North Carolina. So those, those are the 10 main things that the Labor Department in North Carolina is responsible for. Well, you know, it, it, this is a it, interesting day and time, and uh, of course, we've all heard the horror stories of the 1900s where labor was uh, very often exploited. But nowadays, labor is so valuable to everyone that I, I suspect you're finding that 90—I'm I'm just making this number up—but 99% of all employers want to have a safe workplace because they need the workers so badly that they want to be sure they're safe and they want to. Uh, uh, comply with the rules and regulations, and uh, it, it's uh, labor is just so important. Uh, you know, for example, I know Commissioner Troxler has told me on several occasions that there's just no way in the world that we can have the agricultural uh, uh, economy that we have without the migrant workers. We just we have to have absolutely. Uh, I don't know how many how many migrant workers do we have at at, at the peak season, or how many total do we have in a year? So the H-2A workers, I'm really not sure beyond the H-2A workers, but the H-2A workers that are sanctioned by the federal government, approximately 23,000 that come to work the farms of North Carolina. So without that, we would be uh, in, a, in, a, in a mess as far as uh, especially things like pickles and things like cucumbers and that sort of thing, watermelons, as you mentioned. And of course, uh, you know, so many people don't know you do because you were up there in Avery County, how important it is to the Christmas tree uh, growers. Absolutely. Uh, okay. It can't go. It cannot be overstated how important those H2A workers are from every every section, every geographic region of our state uh, for the reasons that you just said. And it's so broad. The agricultural economy in North Carolina is so broad from as we talked about the things that you just mentioned. So it cannot be overstated how critical that labor pool is for North Carolina. And those 23,000 workers have a choice of going to other states. Uh, you know, we want to have a good uh, good environment for them because, we, as I said, we need them. 
uh, to get the crops in and be sure that the uh, uh, products that they are uh, responsible for get to our tables. Uh, uh, but uh, they have a choice. Uh, they pass on an awful lot of states to get to North Carolina. That's a very good point. So, uh, uh, so I guess you spent a lot of time been working with uh, other departments in state government uh, like agriculture. We do. We 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 have to definitely have a uh, a close relationship with with the Department of Agriculture, but also particularly with regard to COVID, we've we've needed to work closely with the Department of Health and Human Services uh, to to do what we can working with industry to make sure that uh, workplaces are safe and and free from COVID. Now, the, vac- the vaccinations have, have certainly helped with that, and we see the cases go down, but uh, it could be an issue with the Department of Commerce, Health and Human Services, and the Department of Agriculture are probably the, the top three departments that, uh, that we work with uh, on, a, on certainly a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. So what are you doing in the case of the uh, migrant workers as far as the vaccine? How are we being sure that those uh, workers are vaccinated. So it's it's been a it's been a tough thing to try to work through, uh, but but it's really been a partnership between the local public health department, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Ag, and the Department of Labor uh, to set up sites in those counties where those those farmers those growers can take their. Uh, workers to those sites to get vaccinated if they so choose. A lot of people have chosen not to get the vaccine, but a lot have. So it's definitely been a partnership in those counties where the the farmers and the the, the growers can take their workers to a specific site. Or in some cases, I believe the public health departments have went to the farms to, to vaccinate those that wanted to get vaccinated. So that's a pretty, pretty cumbersome and tedious process to get 23,000 H2A workers vaccinated or all those that can, but it's it's critical to to the safety and the the welfare of the employees in North Carolina. So it's been it's went well. It's been very successful. We worked with the General Assembly as well, Commissioner Troxler, to set money aside to address when someone does uh, contract COVID on those farms to isolate them in hotel rooms or wherever we can put them until they're fully recovered. Also, mask wearing and temperature checks, those things that needed to be done. So it's been a it's been a collaborative working relationship for sure. Well, I've always been amazed at the work that you do with amusement rides, especially at the state fair, because you know, basically you're dealing with a lot of eight to 16 year olds that don't always abide by the, the safest uh, uh, conduct themselves and they, they, we have to look after them. But basically, uh, amusement rides after you're inspecting them are a pretty safe thing. They are. They are. We, we take due diligence and pride. And Commissioner Barry uh, really pushed this. And I don't think she would mind me saying this. One of the most stressful two weeks of her year is during the state fair because she and the Department of Labor wants to be so sure that those rides are safe and the millions of people that come to our state fair uh, can can be safe and enjoy their time there. So, so yes, we, we want to make sure that there's no, no corners that are cut and no, no, uh, no halfway when it comes to those inspections. And I'm going to continue that. And, of course, as you said, it's not just the state fair. It's, uh, of course, there are several state fairs. There's the Mountain State Fair as well. And, uh-huh. of course, a, a number county fairs and so forth but and of course but 
you carry this over to all amusement rides, no matter where they are, whether it's a carnival that sets up in a small market or a large market for that matter. It is, and we get the question a lot, well, what do you do about Carowinds, where part of it is in South Carolina and part of it's in North Carolina? Uh, actually, the part that is in South Carolina, they inspect, and the part that's in North Carolina, we inspect. So your point is exactly right. Uh, hundreds of, of different different fairs and carnivals uh, every year in North Carolina that, that has to be inspected by the Labor Department. Now, you mentioned that from time to time, employers actually call you and want to uh, have you come in and, and see what they're doing and make recommendations. How can they get in touch with you as far as uh, requesting that? So the best way is 1-800-NC-LABOR to call that number. Uh, in addition to that, I can be emailed directly, josh.dobson, D as in dog, O-B as in boy, S-O-N, at labor.nc.gov. So again, josh.dobson at labor.nc.gov, or you can simply call our 1-800-NC-LABOR number. And I strongly encourage uh, entities and organizations that want to know if they're doing things correctly to reach out to me, reach out to our department, and have our consultative bureau come in and uh, make sure that you're doing it properly. Well, Josh, uh, thank you so much for this this first segment. We've got another segment, and we're going to get uh, dig into a little bit more of the uh, workplace rights. Uh, uh, the employees uh, all basically have rights, and and uh, I suspect that we're going to find that most employers really want to be sure that they are observing those rights and privileges. And we'll talk about that and some other things that you deal with in your job as Labor Commissioner of North Carolina. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsweek. One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mind. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Well, as we said when we introduced the last segment of Carolina Newsmakers, we're welcoming welcoming sort of a new voice after many years as uh, Labor Commissioner Barry was with us. We now have Josh Dobson, who is the new Labor Commissioner, the 18th Labor Commissioner of the state of North Carolina. And he uh, started his uh, duties on... uh, this past January, 
after serving eight years in the in the House of Representatives. And I would imagine that that gave you a tremendous background uh, of uh, uh, allowing you to be, come into this role with a lot of knowledge. I know, for example, uh, I see on your list of things that you were the chair of the subcommittee on student health for uh, the General Assembly for safer schools. You know, I, I guess sometimes we don't think about somebody looking at schools as being safe. Absolutely. We are responsible for 270,000 private and public sector businesses and organ and entities. So, so that is, that is the case. And, and you're exactly right. I, I can't tell you how valuable the, my time in the General Assembly was when it comes to transitioning to the Department of Labor. Uh, fortunately, we've already, we had our agency bill that, that we needed to tweak a few things. And as you know, it's not easy to get a bill through the General Assembly. We were able to already get it through the Senate and it's on its way to the House now to try to get our agency bill. And then we have some budget asks. We, we as a lot of entities in North Carolina, have a labor shortage. We are doing some things to, to address that. We're doing $3,000 sign-on bonuses for compliance officers and trying to do what we can, but we're going to need the General Assembly's help. And the best way to do that is to pay our employees more. And having that working relationship with the General Assembly, I'm hoping, and the governor for that matter, over eight years, I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to, to use those relationships to, to improve salary for, for, the, for the compliance officers in particular at the Labor Department. So yes, my time in the General Assembly and knowing how the cogs of government work and knowing the players over there on a personal level has helped me tremendously as I've transitioned to the Labor Department. A lot of challenges, far different being in the executive branch than it is uh, the legislative branch, uh, but I, I've loved it so far, and my relationships have definitely helped me over there. Let's, uh, I'm going to ask you two interesting questions, uh, and we'll separate them. The first one I'm going to ask you is, what do you think is the most misunderstood part of the labor agreement between an employer and an employee on, from, the, from the employee? From the employee side, what what is the biggest misunderstanding that more employees have than any other? Well, that's a great question. The biggest misunderstanding between employees and employers, uh, I, I would say, and I'll, I'll take it from I, I could say this for employees or empl or employers, um, where you stand depends on where you sit. And this is true for all government and things I can, I can do better or whatever it is, uh, being able to see the point of view of the other side, I think is the biggest thing that, that we miss. And that's true not just of employees and employers, but all of government, those that are representing employees, those that are representing employers. There's another side to the story, and there's a reason that uh, the, the, the employees and employee-related groups want more stringent requirements when it comes to COVID-19. Just like the, the business side, they have their point of view, and there's a reason why they don't want such stringent requirements when it comes to COVID-19 or more regulation when it comes to the workplace. So if we can understand the other side's point of view, I think that would be helpful when it comes to trying to get to the right policy when it comes to labor issues in North Carolina. Uh, I've noticed on this list that Jason's given me, uh, uh, we, of course, have a lot of young people that want jobs, part-time jobs, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Uh, 
What uh, advice would you give employers about hiring young people on a part-time basis? So we uh, thank you for asking the question. We just changed our workers permit process at the Department of Labor. Every uh, teenager, young worker has to get a permit from the Department of Labor. And, and to be frank with you, some of the responsibility now falls on the, the employer. So my, my, my advice would be to the employer to educate yourself on what is now being required of you uh, and on the employee and then and on the employer, the young person side, make sure you get that workers permit out of the way or you're part of it out of the way early so you can develop that that relationship to get that done so you can start work as soon as possible. So using the new technology and the new changes to that process, both for the worker and the employer, I think would be helpful. You can go to our website, uh, just Google North Carolina Department of Labor go to wage an hour and you'll be able to find that pretty, pretty easily and follow the prompts. I had the uh, admissions director of one of the large universities in the state to tell me that their research showed that the uh, youngsters that had a meaningful job, a part-time job in high school were far more likely to, uh, uh, to uh, get their uh, uh, graduate degree in four years than and students that did not have a part-time job. So uh, parents probably should get involved in this as well and, 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 and really encourage their youngsters to get a job uh, because it, you learn so much from that first job. You learn that, yes, there is a boss. <laughs> Absolutely, you do. And I would add, add to that either a job or something that keeps you active. Uh, we are all guilty of this now with technology of, of doing nothing that, that keeps one active. So whether it's sports or whatever it is that you do to, to have meaning, I think is, uh, is beneficial. But you're, you're exactly right. Having that first job uh, shows a level of responsibility and maturity and just knowledge of how things work in, in the real world is, is things that you can't, uh, you can't put a price on. And I would say every job that I've had along the way from the time I was 17 years old to now has, has helped me tremendously uh, as, I, as I transition to commissioner of labor. So your point is spot on, Don. There's, there's no substitute for responsibility, self-discipline, a level of maturity that being active in either a sport or a band or a job uh, can do for an individual and it prepares them well to get that undergraduate degree and graduate degree later on. What, uh, what encouraged you to, to run for labor commissioner? What, uh, what was the factor that said, okay, this looks like something that I would find interesting to do and would feel good about and uh, would uh, look forward to doing uh, to the extent of actually running for election, because that, that's a bunch of work. It, it is. It is. And, and I get that question a lot. I, I would just say that I, I never wanted, Don, I never wanted to be Speaker of the House, and I never wanted to be Majority Leader. I wanted to chair a major policy committee, and I wanted to chair the Appropriations Committee and do things that I thought would be helpful to the folks back in Western North Carolina. I was able to do that, and, and I, I'd already announced that I wasn't going to run again for the state house because I didn't want to run just for a title. Uh, the only thing by the time I realized that I wasn't going to run for the state house again uh, was commissioner of labor. 
And that's for two reasons. One, the, the broad nature of what the Department of Labor does, as I stated earlier, there are 10 specific things that the Labor Department has responsibility and oversight for in North Carolina. And the other thing was the consequential nature of what we do, the health, safety, and welfare of four and a half million workers in North Carolina. I don't think you can get any more important and more meaningful and consequential work than that. The other component to that is timing, and or the other two components to that is timing and love. I was not close to Commissioner Barry, so I didn't really know what her plans were. So I was just going to support her again, even though I had thought through what I would do if the opportunity presented itself. So I read in the paper one day that she has decided to retire at the end of her term. So because I haven't, uh, I decided not to run for the state house, and this is the only elected official, only elected position that I had an interest in, I didn't have to think about it very long. I had to get uh, permission from my wife, uh, Valerie, and my daughter, Kennedy, uh, before I could do it. But after that, I announced shortly thereafter. So timing and luck, Don, as you know, is everything. If it would have been Secretary of State or insurance, I would be back in Western North Carolina doing something else now. But Commissioner of Labor is really what I wanted to do for the reasons that I mentioned. Uh, opportunity met timing, and uh, we, we had a broad and, and, and intense primary and general election, winning both by close margins. But I'm just proud and honored for those reasons uh, to be the Commissioner of Labor. So that's, that's how I ended up running for this office. Uh, I'm going to get back to some of your duties and ask you a question about drug testing because that is uh, something I, I suspect is pretty much misunderstood by both employers and employees, or at least that's uh, an area where you probably get an awful lot of questions. So tell us about drug testing. What are the laws about it and how does it work? You know, most of it is left up to the specific companies and what they want. Uh, because each, each company or each government sector is going to be different for what their needs are. So it's, it's really up to them. Some, because of the work shortage, is, uh, is really looking to give second chances or if you can come back and be clean in a couple of months or whatever it may be, if you really want to work, we can put you to work. So it's really left up to the employers based on the type of position that, that is available. Uh, so we, we serve as kind of a, a consultative role if, if they ask for our opinion on things, but, but most of it is left up to the employers. You know, this is uh, not your job to put everybody back to work uh, exactly as you listed the 10 things, but we have an awful lot of open positions right now. A lot of restaurants and so forth are telling us that they can't find workers What's the solution to that? I, I know that doesn't fall into your direct responsibilities, but indirectly as a citizen of North Carolina and uh, working in state government, how do we get, uh, how do we fill all these openings? Yeah, that, that's another great question. I, I, uh, I have to be honest with you because early on, I, I really tried to shy away from, from that answering that question because, you know, we stick to these 10 things and this is what the Labor Department does. But then, Don, I got to thinking about it and I said, you know, as the Labor Commissioner, uh, I think I probably need to make my opinion known on this. So I really began to think through it. And 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 I really think that to, to Governor Cooper's credit, uh, requiring uh, individuals to show that they're looking for employment, to continue to receive unemployment benefits, I think has been a positive thing. And I would encourage the General Assembly and the governor to look even further 
to say, okay, do we really need this extra COVID-19 unemployment benefits for the people uh, that, that are on unemployment because there are so many vacancies? And another reason that I wish we would take a strong look at that is because the vaccine is working. Uh, we have uh, President Trump and President Biden after working with uh, Secretary Cohen and Governor Cooper and the legislature have really put a solid plan in place to get people vaccinated. So people are able to go back to work now. So I really uh, I encourage or I'm proud to see that the governor did what he done. I would encourage them to the, the governor and the General Assembly to take a step further and say, should we should we. Uh, decide that we don't need those extra that that extra unemployment through through September. So I would look at that. We've got thirty seconds for this uh, this question. What's the, the absolute top of your agenda? What would you like to change most right now? So I think bringing I think most people are, especially job employers and employees both are tired of the divisiveness of government and the, the divisiveness of politics. So other than keeping workers safe, which is always the top priority, if I can bring people together to find a path forward, one minute I might be talking to the AFL-CIO, and the next minute I might be talking to the National Federation of Independent Business. That's what I want to try to do to bridge that gap between different people and different entities. Wonderful. That, you left me with just enough time to thank you very much for sharing with us the duties and responsibilities of your new job as Labor Commissioner, Josh Dobson. And you can get in touch with him as we gave you uh, that telephone number, 1-800-NC-LABOR. Our time is all up. We'll see you again next week. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another guest for us next week. So have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.